Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I know Justin is in Parker Ford, and, and I am here with you from Parker Ford, so it's a pleasure to be able to share um, leaders and ministry individuals that way. Um, we have a good relationship with a lot of your leaders at uh, Cornerstone. Um, if It's probably been since 2007, 2006, around there, that I uh, first got to meet Jay McCumber and have been kind of connected with him through the district throughout many years. And then um, been on staff at Parker Ford for a couple years. I'm not on staff with them right now. I'm just an elder, um, not just, but an elder um, at Parker Ford and also, um, yeah, still in ministry through lay ministry. But I have a um, counseling practice in Pottstown. And so I offer counseling um, to those in need for relationships, mental health, drug and alcohol, all sorts of um, issues there. And so I work in that capacity. But it's been um, really great to be a part of what God is doing across the region, to be able to interact with Justin and Jay. And um, many of you know DJ and having DJ come to Parker Ford and um, being aware of his ministry and, and your ministry and your blessing of that ministry at Drexel Hill. Um, has been really neat to see and uh, exciting to be able to use, see God working in those ways and see God working through people, not just, you know, for you guys here in Lebanon, but to see the work that you do is affecting Drexel Hill and it's affecting Parker Ford and it's affecting other um, ministries and churches in the region. And it's, it's just really great to be able to come here then and to actually... Um, share God's word with you and worship with you guys and uh, looking forward to it. So would you um, pray with me and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, thank you for this morning and um, just thank you for this opportunity. Lord, you're the same God here as at Parker Ford, as at Drexel Hill, as at any other church. um, This morning we just come to worship you. We come to hear your word and to know um, that your word is for us, that your word is toward us, and that your word comes from a place of love, um, a love that overwhelms, a love that pursues us deeply. And so, Father, uh, just allow your spirit to continue to work in our hearts and in our minds today. So this morning, uh, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 13. So if you have scriptures with you and you want to turn there, that'd be great. So as uh, Tim shared, the reading of uh, the Martin Luther once said, human nature is like a drunken peasant. Lift him into the saddle on one side, and he topples over, topples on the other side. We're going to be looking at that as it is expressed in Peter. And some of you may be familiar with this passage in uh, John. This is the passage of Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And specifically, we're going to be looking primarily at Peter's reaction and how that uh, reflects Martin Luther's statement, but also specifically looking 
kind of into the the personality and the character of Peter. You know, being of the counseling mindset, I tend to look at the emotional aspect. And so we're going to be looking at what emotionally could be motivating Peter to respond this way. And so what is the emotional dynamic of being on one side only to be lifted up to topple over to the other? And then what does it look like to walk emotionally in that Christ-like manner? And so that's kind of uh, the roadmap for us this morning as we look at this passage. So I'm going to read John chapter 13, 1 through 12. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? This is a really key passage, and oftentimes we talk about this passage around Easter. You might also have heard sermons around this at other points. And it's really key in terms of our relationship with Jesus. But this morning, I just really want to hone in on verses 6 through 10. And looking at that dynamic between Peter and Jesus. I appreciate how Peter is quiet, right? Watching what's going on in the room. And he's just paying attention. And then Jesus comes to him, having washed already some of the disciples' feet. And then Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And there's this, this question that Peter has, but yet logically you, you're like, well, wouldn't you f- figure he is going to? I mean, he, you just watched him wash some other's feet, and now it's your turn, so here you are. And yet Peter still asks the question, are you going to wash my feet? And so Peter's asking this question kind of like, so what is really our relationship? Because by watching this, right, Peter is challenged to consider what is his relationship with Jesus? 
And Jesus comes to him. He asks this question because Peter knew in the back of, maybe in the back of his mind, unless maybe the forefront of his mind, that this was not the way that this situation was to happen. For the culture and the custom of the time, he knew that the washing of the feet was done by the servant of the household. And usually the lowest ranked servant in that household. And so here he's watching his master, who we know throughout other passages in scripture, Peter is someone who is strong-willed and vocal and boisterous when it comes to advocating for the ministry of Jesus. Oftentimes, that gets Peter into trouble. And pretty soon we see here, it does the same thing. So Simon comes and he's kind of asking this relationship question of, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, is this a part of your role as my master? Because what I know and what I understand, this is not supposed to be. And Jesus answered him, he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Not really helpful, I think, (laughs) right? Like, no, I asked you, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus, as he usually does, right? As is in the character and nature of Jesus, he responds in a way that challenges us to think beyond our own understanding, right? Outside of our box of who Jesus is. And so yet again, Jesus is challenging Peter to think outside of what Peter understands is a part of who Jesus is. And so, clearly not a good enough response for Peter. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Nonetheless, if Peter's still seeing Jesus as his master, It's a pretty strong response to give to someone. And so immediately in this moment, Peter then decides to be the one to determine how this relationship with him and Jesus are going to go. And he puts himself on one side of that horse, right? And he says, no, you will not wash my feet. This is the part where we kind of get to then explore and ponder, invite you to be curious about what could motivate Peter to have that kind of reaction. What we know of culture, what Peter understands, right? What Peter has even observed in his own culture and his own understanding of teacher, rabbi, is that they don't get their hands dirty. Right? They work, the, the Pharisees, the priests of his time, right, work very hard to keep their hands clean. And here's Jesus doing the exact opposite. And what does Peter do? He actually says, you will never wash my feet. And he aligns himself with the culture. He aligns himself with that understanding. And in doing so, what he thinks might be a very, like, gracious way of helping Jesus save face, he's actually saying, 
know Jesus, you need to be like them. You need to fit into my mold. You need to fit into how I understand rabbis and priests to walk. And Jesus, of course, being Jesus, he's not really influenced by that much. It doesn't really, he knows Peter. He loves Peter. And so he rolls with it. But Peter gets in this place where he thinks he's helping Jesus. But he's actually revealing his own heart. He's actually revealing his own mind and where he is in terms of his ability to think outside of his own box of who Jesus is. And we see that what Peter begins to do is he begins to protect himself in terms of his beliefs and his emotions. Because if your master is going to kneel and wash your feet, it's a pretty humbling thing to experience. And so Peter understands probably on some level what is happening relationally, and it's uncomfortable. And oftentimes when we have to think about who Jesus is in terms of our own understanding, in terms of our own emotions and feelings, it gets uncomfortable. Before we go on and begin to look at the other side, I want to explain how I see emotions. Now, it's interesting. If you look up definition of emotion, there's many different definitions and of emotion, exactly. And there's very, some, sometimes they don't really, con, congru, they're not congruent. They don't really match. So the definition that um, I kind of like the most at this point um, is one that doesn't include our conscience, our, our mind, our thinking, um, being the source with which our emotions are motivated by, if that makes sense. So the definition I've chosen is an intense mental state, so it is an awareness, right, that arises subjectively rather than through conscious effort and is often accompanied by psychological changes. Uh, sorry, physiological changes. So that our emotions aren't always within our control, right? Sometimes we can motivate or encourage ourselves into an emotional response, but oftentimes our emotions are not something that we can initially control. It's why we have urges. It's why we have passions. It's why we have desires. We can choose how to respond to them, but we can't necessarily always keep them from happening or welling up within us. The other perspective or thing about emotions that I I want you to um, be on the same page with me this morning is that emotions do not define who we are. So emotions are very much a part of who we are. They help with our personality. They help kind of shape our temperament. But they're not who we are. And oftentimes when we're angry, we can believe we're an angry person. Or when we're sad multiple days in a row, we can feel like we're just a depressed person. That is not a full definition of who we are. That's just allowing a part of who we are to define us. But when we think about emotions as being present in who we are because they help us 
invalidating our experiences, then we can begin to respond in a more healthy way to emotions as they show up in our life. So, for example, Christmas morning, right? Remember as a kid, coming and seeing gifts, you get excited. You don't have to work at that. It just comes, right? And it makes sense because Christmas, for many of us, is a time of joy. And so we get excited about the holiday. Now, you might think then, okay, well, what about all the people who get sad and feel lonely around the holidays? That doesn't validate Christmas being a great holiday. No. But it does validate maybe something they've experienced around that holiday. Maybe the sadness, maybe the loneliness validates the loss of a a loved one or a close friend. Maybe the sadness or the loneliness validates that They don't have the friendships they desire. And so, there could be any number of things that emotions validate. But if we think that something's wrong with us, or we think that they are who we are when we feel them, then they become something that kind of influences us and controls us. And so then we tend to go from one side of the horse to the other. And the main main reason there is that at the core of who we are, what we believe about ourselves, in essence, becomes attacked by these emotional, uh, these experiences we have. So we use our emotions then to help keep ourselves protected from being defined inappropriately by our situations and by our emotions. You with me on that? It's a lot. We'll keep fleshing this out as we look at Peter. So let's keep going then. So Jesus answered him, right? This is after Peter's on this side, of, right? He says, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? You won't understand this, but yes, you know, You shall never wash my feet. Picking up at middle of verse 8, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Gets a little excited then, right? He's like, then let's do it all. So now he's over here. Don't touch me. Now wash all of me, right? Don't even pour a drop of water on my feet, hey, I'll take a sponge bath, let's go, right? Like, it's this whole reactionary response of Peter. Jesus said to him, verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, right? Referring to Judas. when we're talking about the core of who we are, right? When we're looking at Peter. Peter is in this posture of of pride. He's in this posture of, I don't know that I can receive from the Lord the way I need to receive right now. Because what that means is I got to be okay with someone I love, someone that I 
feel is my purpose and my call to support and raise up and follow, respect, all these things. So if I receive from God right now, what's that say about me and how I see myself as being a disciple of Jesus? And so it comes back to Peter. And so he stands here and he says, you know what? I'm not going to receive. So what does he do? He, he pushes back. And when we're trying to protect the core of who we are, we tend to do three things relationally and emotionally. First, we tend, we can surrender. So surrendering in this case would actually look like Judas. Peter does not surrender in this scenario, but Judas does. What does Judas do? He allows his feet to be washed and he doesn't say a thing. And so he, he gives in to the right thing, but he never actually lets his heart be cleansed. He doesn't actually receive the cleansing that Jesus is offering through the feet washing. He might physically, but not in his heart. Peter, he does the other two. He first avoids, right? He says, not my feet. Nope, we're not doing this. And then he goes to overcompensate. Not not just my feet, but all of me. And so he overcompensates. Because it's like, I can't receive anything. Okay, now I'm going to try and receive everything. And yet Jesus is like, no, all you need is your feet washed. And what is this a picture of? But it's a picture of baptism, right? Jesus says, no, you don't need to be baptized again, right? You don't need to be washed. You've been washed, right? Jesus, not physically, but spiritually, right? Peter actually is the one who says, Jesus, you are the son of the living God, right? So Peter knows who his savior is, so he doesn't need to be washed again. But he does need his feet washed because he needs to be served in a way that helps him understand what it means to receive from the Lord so that when he is released into his ministry, He has authority, and he also knows with the power of, with what power to serve others, right? And so we don't act like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and go out all prideful. No, we go out in humility, serving. And so what is sitting up in the saddle and moving forward? It's walking in humility, walking in the experience that Christ has done for us. So that way, it guards us from building the kingdom of Josh. It guards us from building the kingdom of self. And it keeps us focused in building the kingdom for God. Because Jesus is willing, not just to kneel down and wash our feet, but he was willing to die on the cross. So he physically allowed himself to die. And scripture calls us to walk in that same way, right? Scripture calls us to die to self, that we may walk 
in the light of Christ. Walk in the fullness of his sacrifice. And so in our lives, so often, if we're not centered, if we're not in that gospel mindset, we will protect a part of self. And it's why it's so important to know and believe and walk in the identity that God has spoken into our hearts, that we are sons of the living God, that we are heirs in his kingdom. That when God gives us this identity, it is not for us to be haughty and proud. It is so that when we go into life and experience these situations, and when our identity is challenged as we war against the enemy by living in Christ-likeness, that we have the ability to go back to the truth, go back to our creator and hear what he says about us and not be distracted and not be on this side avoiding and not be on this side overcompensating and not be like Judas and surrendering and just going along and looking like a good person and having good morals but not actually walking it out and living it. Jesus replies to him, right? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he even says to him, you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Emotionally, when we are in relationship with other people, our tendency can be to avoid the negative, uncomfortable emotions. Because what those tend to do is they tend to give us a message that we don't like we think it says something about who we are. And so when we experience that, this level of wanting to protect ourselves wells up. And that's when we choose the overcompensating, the avoiding, or the surrendering. And yet, when Christ comes into our life, things can get comfortable. Because he doesn't want us to get stagnant. He doesn't want us to get comfortable. He wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to walk in our identity and the authority he has given us. He wants us to be in pace with his spirit. And so often when Christ comes into our life, we want to activate one of those three ways which guards us against receiving from Jesus. And at the core, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we believe that we are lovable the way God says we are lovable? 
And so often we struggle with feeling worthy to receive God's love. And we can look at ourselves and say, yeah, I'm not. And I could stand here and I could give you a whole list of reasons why I think I'm not lovable. But God didn't ask me if I think I'm lovable. God said, you are lovable. And I can't not love you because it's who I am. God is love. And so if God is love, he can't deny that part of who he is. He can't act out of, out of any other way but his character. And his character, who he is, is love. And sometimes that's some of the hardest to receive. Because we've got to accept what Christ says about us. And when we accept that, we can tell ourselves well, no, I can't receive that, right? We could be like Peter where I'd say like, no, 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 not my feet, right? And we could act that way and say, no, 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 God, I'm not going to receive your love because, because then, like if I do, that, like I might get arrogant. I might get a little like proud and, and that's not good. So this, this love that I know you, you have for me, no, no, I can't, I can't because I think I might mess it up and become prideful or become like self-absorbed. But when we truly receive, right, it's that sitting in the saddle and riding in a way that it's not prideful. It's humility. Because we can understand that it wasn't on account of anything we've done. Right? And like Peter, the overcompensating, right, is we want, he wanted to like say, well, then watch all of me. Which still Nolan voids it. Because then it's about achievement. It's about striving. It's about working hard. And then I can say, you know what? I don't actually have to truly be humbled because there's a part of me that like worked really hard for this. But again, it's, it's all based on who God is. It's not rooted in anything we do. And we are just asked to be recipients. God and his loving kindness doesn't force it upon us. He just offers it. It's the invitation. Shortly after here, you know, later in the chapter, Jesus tells Peter about how he's going to deny him. And then we know that Peter does deny him three times. Even after Peter, in his boldness, says, I will die with you. I will go to the cross with you. And then like, yeah, no, you're going to deny me three times, right? <laughs> like, sorry. And then if you're familiar with John, there's that juxtaposition at the end of John where then Jesus returns after his resurrection and he sits down with Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? And there's this like confessional moment where Peter's like, I can never love you like you have loved me. But... All of me that can love you, loves you. And there, Peter gets it, right? Peter understands that loving others comes because I understand and receive.
Christ's love for me. I the worship team to come back up as a close here. And just, we read uh, already this morning, um, which is really cool, the, the first Peter. And I want to go back, just kind of close with that. This is um, chapter 5 in First Peter. This is where we see that Peter gets it. That Peter doesn't try to avoid, he doesn't try to overcompensate, he doesn't try and surrender. But he walks in it and he gives a temptation. This is uh, just First Peter 5, 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. See, he calls himself a partaker, right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So often we've heard messages, right, that are like, reject the pride and don't be prideful. But this morning, I hope that you hear that the love that Christ has, the desire to serve you as fellow heirs, is the thing that just washes and melts away pride in our lives. And that by receiving and accepting, being partakers, that we can let go of that and we can have humility. A humility that gives us authority to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Father God, we just thank you for your word. I mean, you are amazing, and it should come as no surprise that you know how we work emotionally. You know how we work intellectually, because you are our creator. You have designed us. And so, Father, just that you walk this out in Scripture, that you give us your love so sacrificially, knowing that in that way, then if we receive that, then we can walk free from self. That we can sit in the saddle, be sober-minded, and not be reactionary in our emotions, but we can actually hear you speaking through our emotions. So Father God, guide us. Continue your work in us that we would be able to receive more and more and more of you. That we would never be full enough of your love. God, that you would just overwhelm us with your, your love and your spirit, God, that like 
like we couldn't gulp it down and fast enough because you're just pouring it out on us, God. We just thank you, Father. Thank you for your word.